The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. <laughs> I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate. Welcome to the Church of Roy, a sports drink original podcast. Morning today's show may include adult language. And here are your hosts, Brian Wilcox and Steve Ewald. All right, everybody, welcome to a special edition of the Church of Roy podcast. I'm your host, Steve Dewald. As always, I'm joined by Brian Wilcox, my co-host. And today we have a special guest from the ringer, Jonathan Sharks. Sharks, how you doing, bud? Good. When I saw your title at first, I thought you were like Church of Rookie of the Year. That's how my brain's been working. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Acronyms. I oh, think that's that, kind of confusing, but I'll go for it. I think that's the whole point of why we named it that, because if if the estate of Brandon Roy ever comes after us, we'll just say, you know, this is the Church of Rookie of the Year. I don't know what you're talking about. So, Brian, real quick, how are you doing today, bud? Everything's good my way, man. About a week till the season starts. Mm-hmm. And uh, excited to have sharks here and talk some moves. Yeah, I yeah, mean, do it. yeah, falls here. It's cold in the air, rains here, and, and the Blazers preseason is underway. Um, before we kind of jump into what's happened in the last couple weeks, I always find it interesting to, to talk to. I touch base with sharks usually, you know, every couple months. Uh, typically, we see each other at Summer League in, in the pre-COVID era. <laughs> so I usually I get his perspective on what's going on in Portland. Uh, obviously Damian Lillard dominated everything this off season for the Blazers, as well as some of the coaching hiring stuff. Sharks, what do you make uh, of the Lillard situation from the outside? And what do you think the benchmark is that the Blazers have to reach this year? Kind of what's the league pulse on, on what you think might be happening here? Well, I mean, I remember talking some other day about this, like that game five in Denver, if you're Lillard and what was it? 55 points. Mm. I think it was. Yeah, 55 points. I think he scored the last 21 points for the Blazers or something <laughs> absurd like that. I mean, how could you not be frustrated? How would that not leave a bitter taste in your mouth towards mm. your teammates, towards the whole organization? Especially, I mean, right when Denver didn't have their second best player. And it's yeah. like, come on. 
So of course he's gonna be frustrated. Like, how could he not have been? Given, especially given how old he is, how long he's been in Portland. So I mean, I think that is pretty understandable. I mean, like that's that's pretty normal in the NBA world these days that a star get frustrated like that. Um, it didn't seem like he was able to put a ton of pressure on O'Shea though. Yeah, because O'Shea really it was a normal off season for him, right? They made normal off season <laughs> moves. They didn't make the like let's trade five first round picks for Drew Holiday move, right? Mm-hmm. They just kind of mm-hmm. did what they always did. Yeah. And so. I think that's the rub here. I think that that's what gives me anxiety about the situation is, you know, it, it was business as usual this off season and the move they did make or the move that we've kind of seen them build around here is it's Chauncey Billups. Neil O'Shea comes out and says, you know, we're not going to drastically change this roster. We believe it's a coaching issue from what you've seen in the Blazers the last couple of years. Do, do you think it's that, or, or like you said, do you, do they need to make the, you know, the five first round pick trade for, for a complimentary piece for Lillard during this prime prime curve of his. I mean, it's hard to believe it's coaching right from the mm-hmm. outside. It's hard to believe that could be enough. I mean, when has that ever really worked? Oh, like the team is the same, but actually we're just going to change the coaches. I think like people think of the Warriors. Oh, this is a team of the same. But if you forget, like before Steve Kerr was there, Draymond Green was not an important part of their team. Mm-hmm. That, that happened at the same time. So they bring in Kerr, David Lee gets hurt, and Draymond plays like 25 games. And all of a sudden he's a starting power forward. Now you've got the dynasty warriors, right? Mm-hmm. Like that's when a coaching change can make a difference when it's on top of a roster change. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's no Draymond Green waiting to perform on this roster. So it's hard to believe anything's going to change really. Well, okay. Yeah, before, you, oh, go ahead, Brian. You look back at some of the big jumps you've seen on the first year head coaches, right? It's the, the Nick Nurses, the Steve Kerrs, the Ty Lues. And one thing those, all three of those rosters had in common, right? Was you had a ready, almost a ready-made or a roster is coming into its own as a championship contender with well, Nurse. Yeah, Nick Nurse yeah, got Kawhi Leonard. Yeah, Kawhi Leonard yeah, coming on, right? right? Which is pretty probably important. Probably a bigger deal. Yeah, it wasn't just, like just he was taking this. He wasn't taking this Toronto team and just pushed him over the top, right? There, there was something happening there that enabled these first-year guys to have that kind of level of success. So, I think uh, he echoes sort of our internal thoughts on well, the pod that it probably isn't just a coaching problem. Now, let, can I can I sell you on on the Draymond Green light? And I think it could be a hybrid here. So existing on the roster, certainly how they've talked about Yusuf Nurkic, that's what their hope is. They hope Billups can unlock Nurkic, which we've been down this road. This is the whole thing of when he arrived here from Denver. And then also we've heard Draymond and the style he plays brought up specifically when they're talking about Larry Nance Jr. and what he can do off the ball. What do you just, how do you grade the Larry Nance Jr. trade? Was it enough? I I, I think I kind of know where you might go with this. And what do you see him being able to do as far as unlocking Lillard's potential in the postseason? Because that's really been the issue here is he can't escape that pressure. Hey guys, it's Perry here to tell you all about the brand new app we've been using here in the Church of Roy called Spotify Greenroom. Greenroom is a live audio-only platform that is free to download and super easy to use. You can talk to sports fans, insiders, athletes, and even executives all in real time. And hey, the Church of Roy will be there live bright and early on Saturdays at 8 a.m. Pacific. All you need to do is download the Spotify Greenroom app in the iOS or Android app store. Get it up, peeps. Okay, so my innocent thought is when you say that, it's like, 
how is Draymond being used in Golden State? Without even getting into like, mm-hmm. okay, obviously these guys are not first team Hall of Famers, elite defensive player, whatever. Like, how is Draymond used in Golden State? Well, he has the ball a lot more than any of the guys in Portland. So, like, if that's the narrative, then the next thing would be to say, we're going to move Dame off the ball more. We're going to play him in more of this on-off complementary role. So, is that happening? I kind of doubt it. Like, if that's (laughs) happening, that's the bigger story than even, right? It's more about how's Dane being changed usage-wise. And is Billups coming in with that kind of mandate and that kind of philosophy that he's going to do that? And can he get Dame to buy? And it was like three separate questions. I kind of doubt any of those things, all of them, really. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, the, it's been a lot of coach speak so far as, you know, preaching accountability, more ball movement. And, and the thing I think Blazers fans are going to realize real quickly here is more ball movement and all this stuff means less time with Damian Lillard with the ball on offense. And really that's not what you want. That hasn't been a recipe for success for this team. Um, Unless you get to the postseason where you do need other actors to be involved here. I guess this is why if there is going to be a fundamental change in what Damian Lillard does, I think that's what makes the Ben Simmons conversation so interesting for Portland. It's just, it doesn't sound like that deal is going to get done. I mean, uh, we're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com match. Just go to Indeed.com slash match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Shams had the report the other day, you know, it was CJ on top of like six picks, three of them were swaps. I mean, what do you make of the Blazers being a potential landing spot for a guy like Ben Simmons? I mean, it, you're, you're talking very similar to the same thing of taking the ball out of Damian Lillard's hands if it's going to work. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. I would, I mean, obviously six first round picks is excessive. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just a little. <laughs> But like to go back to what we were talking about, though, Drew, the Drew Holiday thing, mm-hmm. I think that's the kind of move that could potentially keep Dame in play for a lot longer if mm-hmm. he was bought into it ahead of time. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. If you came to Dame and said, we'll trade CJ in a couple picks for Simmons. I, I think if he was into doing that, I would probably do it. Yeah. I think that's the, the big move here is, is fundamentally changing 
what Lillard does on offense. And we've seen this team tinker around the edges trying to do this with, with Evan Turner. I think that was what he was brought in to be that role, you know, four years ago. But, you know, we're down the line here. I mean, now is the time to compete. You mentioned Lillard's age at the start of this. He needs to be competing now. He's watching his peers compete right now. He comes back from the Olympics and, and you know, he's got Drew Holiday in that locker room now, now with the title ring. And I, I think the time is now. And, and I don't know when it's going to happen. I, I certainly don't think it's not going to happen before the season now, obviously. But I think the trade deadline is on the table for Lillard if this is, if, if Phillips looks like he's underwater here and, and the roster doesn't really come around and, and this team's struggling at, at, at the midseason point. What, what do you, I don't know how to frame this because it's been rehashed and hashed by us a few times. But when do you expect if things go off the rails here, just judging from what we've seen from other stars, when do you think the Lillard trade request could come if this does go off the rails? I think what's tough is it's like, it's probably not in the regular season. We've seen this work for so long that they still have these same pieces that have worked in the system for so long. It's hard to believe at the at the deadline they won't be like where they always are, right? In somewhere in the middle of the West competing. So unless there's a couple, and even with injuries, right? Last year, CJ and Nuggets were out and they were still kind of in the same area. Yeah. So it's like probably not the deadline in terms of they have to blow this up. It'd be next after this playoffs, I think. And, if they did. So it's like it gives you a tough spot because you're not making a decision yet what could happen in the playoffs with the deadline. Yeah, I think that's kind of the timeline that, that me and Brian have subscribed to recently is it, it is going to happen. When it didn't happen this offseason, a major shakeup, as far as not even Lillard being involved, I, I just don't see them doing a midseason move. We've seen some smaller moves around the fringes with this team. But if it's going to happen, it's going to happen next year. But the, the thing I constantly worry about is I just don't feel like Neil O'Shea has ever really meaningfully put CJ McCollum on the table outside of maybe some James Harden talk last season. And, and I don't know what the, what the form of it is going to take, but enough of some of those off season topics we've hit on sharks. You're my draft guy. We talk about prospects all the time. We, I, we typically try to come up with the most Portland takes ever. I think our, our most famous one was uh, Jalen Horde was going to outperform Nasir Little. And you know what? That take still might be alive. So, um, again, let's talk about Anthony Simons. This is his – I believe this is his third season in a row where this is going to be his breakout year or certainly his second season. What do you make of Anthony Simons' game as a player – as a person who really evaluates the, these younger players and where they're hitting their arc and, and where he's going to go as a player this year? I mean, one, he's really young. It's easy to forget that he's 22 and point guards tend to develop slower a lot of times, like a lot of point, right? Look at Cameron Payne, 26, 27 now. Now he's coming into his own. I think the tough thing with Simons is he's just basically your third point guard, really, mm -hmm. right? Because you have Dame and then CJ mm -hmm. and then Simons. And then, okay, Simons is a guy who's going to impact the game. He's so small if he's not having the ball in his hands, how effective is he going to be really? And there's just never been an opportunity for him to have the ball in his hands for long periods of time. And the issue is more like if you have this many small offensive oriented guards on your roster, they don't complement other skills at all. Right. Mm -hmm. If you have Anthony Simons, the best version of him is a much bigger player at Portland because they need much bigger player because he's not going to have the ball that much. When you have Damon CJ, 
who's really going to give the offense reaction? That's just not going to happen, right? Mm-hmm. So his ceiling in Portland is very low mm-hmm. based on his role on his team. So ideally, you'd want someone in there. You basically want someone else in that role because he's never going to be that effective in it. Yeah, I think it's a combination of two things that I worry about the most because I, I think Ant has a bunch of raw talent and, and he can create separation. He can get to his own shot. But my my issue is this is, like you said, it's a very redundant skill set with what this Blazers team has. And then also when he comes in on that second unit last year and the year before that, you know, it was no secret that Mello was taking the, the shots he got. And I think he kind of suffocated the options for a lot of those other It was guys. no secret. That's a great way to say it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it was very clear he was in Portland to get into the top 10 in scoring all time. And now he's going to go chase the ring with the Lakers, um, which, you know, more power to him. But with Ant, too, is now he's coming in the second unit and you have Norman Powell, who's probably going to shift maybe into his natural position. And, and I would expect him to see more looks in the second unit. So I just don't know where the opportunities are going to come from unless it's going to be a facilitating duties for Anthony Simons, which gets to my second point is not only is the ceiling low on this, like you mentioned, but he's trying to thread the needle on a role that, that is tough to do for players to develop. You, you mentioned campaign. It took a long time for him to get to where he is and really figure out what he is as a player. And, and I'm just, concerned that, that that's the big pitfalls for ant brian what do you think well i was gonna ask sharks what's simon's value like you know looking from the outside in is he perceived as still obviously a project but a guy that does have a fairly high upside or is, or is he kind of just an afterthought and kind of washed out from from the dame cj norm you know guard rotation that essentially portland has i wouldn't say he's an afterthought I think people, there obviously is some skill there. I mean, he's shown some skill. It's just a matter of like on the trade market, you're really traded for what you produced. No one's going to like over, like people are thinking I might be able to steal Anthony Simons in a trade, right? Because mm-hmm. he doesn't have a very big role in this team. So I might be able to get him for more value versus like, I'm not going to pay full price for his potential given what he's produced, right? Mm-hmm. But then the problem is, you know, Olshay's never going to like give, it's like this cash 22. He's never going to give up less value for his guy who he believes in, but he can't get value for his guy based on the role of his team. So it's like this really weird situation. Yeah, I think that's, and nobody's been more hyped than, than Anthony Simons mm-hmm. by Neil Olshay. I mean, it's, it's insane what he was billed as. I mean, it blows out of the water. Like, I believe he compared Zach Collins to, Rashid Wallace at one point early in his career and it's like and I mean this rivals that like it's it's pretty impressive like like you said I think it's just impossible to to recoup what well Shea thinks is fair value uh, especially if you're a team, outside team looking in we've already mentioned him a little bit I want to talk about Nasir Little because you know draft night he falls to them in the 20s we see Cam Johnson go super early you know a lot of people had them flip-flopped on those boards and when I brought this up to you you were very clear to, you know, I don't think he slipped that far. I think this is the draft slot he went in. And, you know, time has kind of shown you're probably right about that. Um, what do you see? What have you seen from Nasir Little so far? And do you, what did you see from him as a prospect? And how do those two things match up? And is there still potential there in your eyes for him on this team? On this team, there's potential if he can knock down jump shots. Right. That, and that's the question for 
every young wing, more or less, like there's, it's like this two-part path. Either A, you can knock down jumpers and you can play on a, on a good team off the ball. That's the easiest path to playing time. Or B, if you can't knock down jumpers, you're good enough with the ball, we can run offense through you, right? Because like fundamentally, if you can't shoot, you'd better have the ball in your hands with NBA is now, right? There's just no place for a guy who's not a center and can't shoot unless he has the ball in his hands. Mm-hmm. So that was a tough thing with Nazir Little. It was like, well, he can't shoot yet. And then it's like, okay, at UNC, he didn't really look capable of running the offense. He was mostly getting his own points, kind of jacking up shots. Mm-hmm. He wasn't like this like point forward guy at UNC. And that's played out in the NBA is the Blazers aren't like, kind of we're talking about with Simons. Oh, we're not going to let this young guy, obviously he's not going to get the ball very much. He better spot up. And if he's not making his shots, then at some point he becomes, he hurts the team too much to play. Mm-hmm. So until he can make shots, it's hard to see what his role is going to be on this team. And really we've seen the worst of that come out in so far in the preseason. I mean, didn't play last night, but in that first game, a bunch of turnovers and then really they're, they're asking him to be this wing stopper on defense. And he was just giving up uh, an, uh, just a massive amount of space to Steph Curry, like stuff you can't do, like not closing out on him beyond the arc. And it's just like, I don't know if this guy's ever going to put, put it together here. So um Wilcox, what do you got to say about Nasir? Anything for Charks uh, on him before we we move on to some new, new faces? It's crazy how reliant Portland is for, uh, you know, to really take the next next step as little as development because Portland's been searching for competent two-way wings, you know, bigger wings for what feels like forever. And so um, it's a little unsettling <laughs> how much Portland needs Nasir to really become a, you know, productive NBA player and, what do you think? That's Charles, why I couldn't what, believe. Sorry. What do you think? What do you think's his like most likely outcome as a as a player, or even like a band? Where would you put him as a as a prospect, and where do you think he might land as far as being a contributor? I mean, I think at this point, the most likely outcome is like Stanley Johnson, who's now who's playing on the Bulls this year. I mean, he's just like a bigger wing with a shaky jumper, great energy level, comes in on the second unit as a three four. Mm-hmm. And it's like, make things happen in 10, 15 minutes a game. Justin Anderson is a guy that, as a Mavs guy, as I remember, I said that kind of role. And that kind of player ends up usually bouncing around the league. Rondé Hollis Jefferson, y'all had him what, last year, I think? Yep, we did. Same kind of thing. <laughs> and then it's like, either that kind of player, either he gets, he gets in a role where he gets the ball, which usually doesn't happen. Justice Winslow, right? Mm-hmm. Same thing. And now he's in his third team playing for the Clippers. Or he bounced around the league. Or he discovers how to shoot and it can't happen. RJ Barrett is a guy who really improved as a shooter. Mm-hmm. So RJ is obviously a lot more skilled than Nas. That'd be like the hope. Is if he can somehow develop that shot. And it's hard to predict that a lot of times. Like mm-hmm. in my experience, as um, there is this line from the. Do y'all ever see True Grit, the new one that yeah. came out like ten years ago <laughs> with uh, what's his name? Jeff Bridges is playing the sheriff. Yeah. yeah. And then. The, main, the girl comes in, the main character, and she's like, Sheriff, Sheriff, come chase down this guy. I got some money coming. And he goes, Sister, <laughs> I don't believe in checks that are coming. Like, I, and a couple other things he says. He's like, yeah. that's kind of how I feel about wings who can't shoot. It does happen. Yeah. But yeah. at this point, I'll believe it when I see it. Yeah. So what's more concerning? The, the best wing in Dame's post-LaMarcus era is 
Maurice Harkless or how dependent the Blazers are that they really need Nasir Little to be a thing? Like, I, I don't know. What's more concerning? I was surprised they traded Gary Trent. Yeah. I thought he had some – I mean, he's bigger. He can really shoot. I was surprised they traded. I didn't really make sense to me at the time, the Powell for Trent trade. The, the Powell trade for me came around – initially I was terrified because – I thought it was just an optics play by the Blazers that, you know, we don't want to have to match a Gary Trent huge contract after the debacle that was the Allen Crab situation. So they get Norman Powell. And if Norman Powell walks for too much money, then go, you know, he's unrestricted free agent. We couldn't do anything because we've seen Olshay kind of really make sure he's in a safe spot narrative wise uh, with players like that. Um, speaking of wings, new guy, you're, you're, down in Texas, what can you tell us about Greg Brown the third? Uh, a lot of people hyped up his his pre college resume, you know, being a top ten recruit, and, and you know, I kind of went down that rabbit hole. It's not really pretty. The only person who signed a bigger contract than what they came in the league at that was a top ten recruit that fell into the second round is Gary Trent Jr. He's the only one to sign his name to a bigger contract. So. Any thoughts on Greg Brown, or, or was that not on your radar when you were watching the draft for the draft? No, because I'm a, I went to UT, so I watched oh, yeah. him a ton. Oh, okay. I even followed his trip in high school. He's an Austin guy, so okay. it was a big thing for like three years. They're like, Shaka's got to get the Austin kid, Austin five star, mm-hmm. you know, five star wing, blah blah blah. He's the guy who can get this program back going, and Shaka can get him. Which, long story short, I never really works in college. If you like. If you're if you're one recruit away, that guy's never going to save your program, <laughs> and it certainly wasn't Greg Brown. I'll tell you that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He had a tough year. Like, okay, so it almost. I remember a couple NBA guys texting me about this in terms of his assist to turnover ratio at college. It was like historically bad. Mm-hmm. Like I've never seen a perimeter player have such a low assist to turnover ratio. He just like, he's a great athlete who can't shoot and is learning the game of basketball. I mean, he's kind of like Nas Little. And it was really tough for him because uh, I don't know how much y'all follow this. Towards the end of the season, he ended up getting benched. Mm-hmm. He basically didn't play in the NCAA tournament. He benched, he got benched for Kai Jones. So he, he started over Kai Jones all season. He gets benched for Kai Jones, the Big 12 tournament. And he like freaks out and plays like five minutes to the t- it was a whole thing, yeah. but I mean, he's just a young guy with a, a ton of athletic ability to ask to learn to shoot. Hey guys, it's Perry here to tell you all about the brand new app we've been using here in the Church of Roy called Spotify Greenroom. Greenroom is a live audio only platform that is free to download and super easy to use. You can talk to sports fans, insiders, athletes, and even executives all in real time. And hey, the Church of Roy will be there live bright and early on Saturdays at 8 a.m. Pacific. All you need to do is download the Spotify Greenroom app in the iOS or Android app store. Get it up, peeps. Yeah, I, I think if I remember right, because I paid a lot of attention to that when I saw the turnover stuff, I think he had 30 turnovers before he had his first assist, which is like unheard of. Um, but yeah, it, it's crazy to think that, you know, Texas runs into this first round matchup where, you know, typically when you're playing a smaller school uh, like uh, that. I can't even talk about it. Yeah, come on, Shark. Let's, let's <laughs> dig it up. <laughs> that was horrible. Yeah, well, it hey, was like the worst game of all time. Oh, my God. We're, I, I'm a Gonzaga person, and, you know, they just led us along right to the end and then just got slaughtered by, by Baylor. So I, I don't know what is more painful. I don't but... want to hear you complaining about having the number one team in the country. <laughs> 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 
I don't want to hear uh, any complaints about that. I, I mean, like, okay. it's the best player in the country. Yeah, this yep. let's let's relax. Is, is Chet Holmgren early on, on number one on your board right now? If you had a board for, I haven't year? seen enough to say. Okay. I, I, I haven't watched Paolo enough to really say. I'm. I say buy in now. I'm. I'm fully bought in already. Okay, so. Chet. As by the way, he's the first. The first American white player to be number one in this class since Josh McRoberts. Oh well. Maybe a future blazer, McBob <laughs> man, blazer legend. Um, so listen, I, I want to rewind one year. So we're in the last year of the the Robert Covington experience here in Portland, and you know, on paper. You know, this is the type of player you want to bring in, put next to Damian Lillard, shore up your defense. I think the big thing that Portland ran into and learned a lot was Robert Covington raises the raises the ceiling on a defense, doesn't necessarily raise the floor. He, he's a good team defender, but they were asking him to be, a, you know, a one-on-one stopper, not really what, you know, got him on that all-defensive team. Um, yeah, he's more of a small ball big man, really, covering mm-hmm. the floor and mm-hmm. helping rotate. Yeah. But yeah, he's not. I mean, like, it's crazy. Like the bubble. Did they, they watch the bubble? Like he was yeah. not stopping anyone. <laughs> one guy. Like, I don't know. Well, hey, allegedly they went after Aaron Gordon first, and then they just took the same offer to the Rockets. But it, anyway, so the Blazers give up two first round picks. If he walks this year, and the Blazers don't make it out of the first round, and we're looking back at this, you know, twenty twenty draft, twenty twenty one. There's a couple of players I'm already thinking of that are, are going to keep Blazer fans awake at night as far as, oh, I can't believe we traded this for two years of Covington, and, and now these guys have hit. Specifically, I want to talk about Sadiq Bey, who seems like he'd be an excellent addition to this team right now, and then also uh, Isaiah Stewart, same, same situation. Two guys that went past the – were on the table when the Blazers would have picked if they hadn't traded for Covington – Anybody from that 2020 class post them that that are gonna are poised for a breakout in, in your eyes? I'm looking at it right now. Well, I mean, 28, Jaden McDaniels. Mm. That that he's was I, he was great in Minnesota. I think that's the breakout guy. Mm. I think he'll play for Minnesota this year, 30, 35 minutes a night. They're starting three, they're closing four. He's really I think he's a I think he's got like top five talent. I love Jaden McDaniels. He's awesome. That's the other guy. But I mean, Sadiq Bay is the obvious one because he's at nine. Bay and McDaniels. Mm. Like to be fair to Old Shea, I think there's going to be a lot of GMs regret passing on Bay and McDaniels. No, no Poku love. No Poku love here. Yeah, maybe, <laughs> maybe. If nothing else, he's that's fun as hell to watch, right? <laughs> so. Well, Poku had never played for the Blazers though. Talking about like, no. there's just no way they could have put him on the floor. As a, no, that, was a little, that was a little tongue-in-cheek. If we were rebuilding, it might be, <laughs> yeah, it might be fun to watch, but uh, you don't want to see him on the floor with Dave. You know, it might not be too far away, so let's not get too far ahead of ourselves here. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as looking, just let's zoom out from the young players. When you look at the Western Conference, where do you put the Blazers in, in relation to, you know, your hometown Mavs and some of those other teams that are competing for home court advantage, or at least we like to think that the Blazers are in position to compete for home court advantage. Um, what do you think of the Blazers this year overall? Well, I'm just, I mean, I'm going to pull up a list of teams. So I don't forget anyone. I'm just gonna say. <laughs> no worries. But, you know, you do you know these yeah. things, you forget one team doesn't even make sense. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, the standings, the Western conference. I, I think, I think... Oh, go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. No, no, no. I, I, the team I always forget about is 
you know, I forget about the Grizzlies and I make like a conscious effort to make sure I, I, I bring them up because there's a lot of young guys on that team I like. And I like Jaron Jackson Jr. a ton going back to watching him play at Hoop Summit here in Portland. But yeah, I would say I'd put them in that range of like, I think the four seed is in range. I don't think it's impossible. They, It's all about health. I feel like it's all about health for the middle mm-hmm. of the West usually. Mm-hmm. Like, if you look at the top seven or eight teams, give me a list of who's the most healthy. Like Portland wasn't very healthy last season, mm-hmm. right? So six seed. I think five. If if they stay healthy, they could be the range for the four seed for sure. You know, I'd say Portland, Dallas, Golden State, um, Den- Denver probably has more talent. I guess you'd say like Utah, Phoenix, Denver, Lakers, and some more the top. But then Portland. I would say it's the from like three to seven. You add the Clippers in there, maybe the Grizzlies. They're right in the mix there. But, you know, the middle of the West is like pretty three to like eight. So mm-hmm. a bad health, you get back to seven or eight seed really fast. Good health, maybe you're at the four seed. So I, I think that's kind of where we put them is they're, they're right on the outside of like a lock to compete for the top four. But I think they have upward mobility that some of these other teams might not have. Like you said, it's a lot of that's tied to health. Here's what I'm concerned with it and kind of leads into our last little bit here is the Blazers address their health concerns by going and getting guys like Cody Zeller, uh, Ben McLemore, Tony Snell, uh, and Zeller specifically, not really known for his, his clean bill of health and Larry Nance Jr. obviously you know. too, kind of in that same boat. Of some of these new faces that Portland's brought in, and let's leave Nance Jr. out of this for right now. Uh, of the Snells, of the Macklemores, of the Zellers, who guys probably going to play real minutes for this team. Is there anybody that you like in that in that group that could, you know, exceed expectations? I guess. Out of Snell, Macklemore, Zeller, um, Zeller probably. Like Zeller started, he's been a starting center for a long time. I mean, he's a lot better than Ennis Cantor. I think that's not a huge stretch to say. Yeah, yeah. So I think that part is. I'm going to say it gives you more insurance for Nurkic for sure than mm. they had last year. I, I think last that... year they had the opposite of insurance for Nurk, whatever that would be. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they had the insurance from Goodfellas. Like, oh, this thing's going to burn down. <laughs> yeah. Burn it down. So, yeah. And uh, as Cantor, you know, hell of an experience here. We'll always have the 2019. Uh, Western Conference Finals run, but last year that you know the wheels really came off and, and wasn't even playing in that that Denver series this time. Um, before we get out of here, I really just want to thank you for taking the time to jump on. Um, I've I've been a huge fan of your work, and you're always someone I, I look forward to seeing when I we go to these type of events, and we're both uh, in the media rows. So, thank you, Charles. So you got anything to plug coming up that that you want to get out there, get out to our listeners. Oh, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Um, how about you tell me about Dennis Smith Jr.? How is he doing in camp? Are people talking nice so, about him? So of the four guys they brought in, I would say what I've been hearing is Dennis Smith Jr. is, is getting the most positive uh, reviews. I will say in the preseason, it's just been so disjointed. I, I think you have a, a – New head coach. This was Billups. His first preseason game was the first game he's ever coached in a head coaching capacity ever. So it, it hasn't been great. Um, but Dennis Smith Jr., I think what, what's weird to me, and maybe I missed this when he was a prospect, 
is they're really billing that he can be this, you know, athletic defender. And I just don't think that was ever something I, I ever saw on his resume. I guess, w- what do you remember from the Dennis Smith pre Luca experience in Dallas? I mean, he was just a young raw point guard learning the game, not a great shooter. Just, I mean, it was a tough spot team, but no real talent really. Mm-hmm. I could see it. Like this is his third team. I think he's on year in year five. This is the year. It's like, if I want to stick in the league, maybe I have to really commit to playing defense. That's not inconceivable. He has the athletic ability to be a good defense. I mean, he has a, I would say he has like Eric Bledsoe, like athletic ability, not quite as long though. So like mm-hmm. it's theoretically possible. He's like, if I want to stick in the league, I, I mean, he didn't play any defense in Dallas, but he's a young point guard who had the ball in his hands. Those guys pretty much never play defense yeah. as a rule. So we have, we have veteran point guards who don't play defense. So. <laughs> don't don't I, just I like, single out the I young guys a, now. <laughs> I think he's a good a good kid with a lot of talent, and I hope he figures it out. So he's still young. I think if he can just stick in the league, learn from a guy like Day, maybe Billups, maybe get a couple years, find himself in a spot like Cameron Payne, just kind of stick around. So I hope it, I hope it works out for him. Have they changed much? Has Billups changed much? Does it look the same as always, like the system more or I, less? Or it's hard to say. It's hard to say right now because no, you know, Lillard, McCollum, nobody played yesterday. The only guys who were probably going to see regular minutes was Nurk, Nance Jr. and Ant were the only guys that played yesterday. Um, What I worry about real quick on Dennis Smith Jr., what I worry about is I think he would have been a lock to get that 14th spot. Cody Zeller gets nailed in the face by Andrew Iguodala in the first preseason game collapses his nose to where there's going to be surgery involved now. And I don't know how much time he's going to miss or how much concern well, that you raises. Just saying, yeah. Yeah. There yeah. So, Zeller. so it, it might be Marquise Chris's job to lose or Patrick Patterson, but we'll, we'll see what happens. I, I would not. Oh, be wow. You have Marquise Chris. That's interesting. Like yeah. he's another former high lottery pick maybe on his third team. And you know, Chris was someone I was really hyped about because as hyped as you can be for a training campaign, but, 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 you know, he looked really good in those golden state he did. appearances they liked before him a he lot. got hurt. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so, the, the Warriors liked him. And, and Draymond Green it, specifically liked him a lot. So, but he might end up playing some minutes. Like it makes sense to me in Patrick Patterson. Patterson hasn't really been effective in a long time. Yeah, so it's been a minute. I, I guess with Billups, and maybe you can speak to this a, a little better than I can because I don't focus a lot on, on the Clippers, but it, it does sound like he's going to run a lot of Ty Lue type systems, and, and whether that's from the Cavs days, the Clippers days, or a mix of both. Where do you see, I guess, does that in your eyes raise the ceiling on, on a guy like Dame, or is there more potential for CJ McCollum to thrive in that type of system? Or I guess kind of my Homer pet pick is Norm Powell. I think could really thrive in that type of system and do a lot of the same type of stuff. They were asking Paul George to do it, you know, a poor man's Paul George in Norm Powell. That's interesting. I mean, I think Lou had always had done a really good job of maximizing his best players. Mm-hmm. Like, I think he's been a really going back to Cleveland and LA. He also went small a lot. So that'd be mm-hmm. interesting to mm-hmm. see how much Billups buys into that. Like, Ty Lue was one of the first coaches to really downsize. I mean, he's playing um, as for as well as it were, like, you know, I'd say the best example is Ty Lue on the assistant two years ago at Doc Rivers and Rivers played Montrez Harrell the entire series. Yeah. So 
even though like Ty Lue going small is more conventional lap now, a lot of coaches wouldn't do that. So I'd be interested to see what a Ty Lue, it's probably unfair to call him like his, his mentor because they're pretty close to the same age. I think they're more like peers, but I'd be very interested to see how much Ty Lue's, if he's going to have influence is like how flexible is Chauncey going to be? Ty Lue's super flexible, super aggressive in playoff series. And he's not afraid to change up really, really quickly. Like in that, the Mavs Clippers first round last year was a great example. He went from the rotation in game one to rotation in game three was completely different. He flipped like three or four guys roles in the span of one game, which is really rare for an NBA coach. And I think that more, maybe that would be I'd be most interested in if Billups is going to be a very aggressive playoff coach. Would you say Stoss was aggressive with matchups or was he kind of, how would you place him on that spectrum? I, I think he, he was one of the, that was probably the main criticisms of the Stotts era was his, you know, rigidness. And, and he continued to just try the same thing and, and try to break through the wall that way. And so it's actually kind of nice to hear that Phillips might, you know, if he coaches like his buddy Lou, we can anticipate some more chess being played rather than just trying the same thing until we were down four two and series over. I guess in defensive stats would be this, and I'll go back to the old uh, Bill Parcells saying, you know, how am I supposed to cook if I'm not doing the grocery shopping? Like, Neilshay kept buying eggs and bell peppers, and all Stotts could cook was Denver omelets. And, and you know, he want maybe he wanted to make something else, but there was just no flexibility with this team ever. I mean, you had redundant skill sets across the board, similar type players. And with Billups, if he does pivot to a smaller lineup. But like similar to what Lou has done, I don't know if it's by design or, or it's just that's just how this roster is built. Like if something happens to Nurk and, and Zeller doesn't live up to expectation, you're probably looking at, at a significant stretch where Larry Nance Jr. is probably your starting center. And th- that's crazy to think about, but also could unlock a lot of potential, you know, if Phillips really does follow that Lou blueprint here. I guess the thing I'm but then I, I'm looking at this roster and it's like you're playing small up front. Usually you got to play bigger on the wicks, right? That, and that I think is the ultimate, I think ultimately the big question for this team. Like if you're going to play smaller, but then you're going to have six, two, six, two, six, four on the perimeter and having a smaller center, that is hard to see that working. That, that I think ultimately for me, is what I keep coming back to with Portland, with Dame especially is like at some point, He's got to be on a team with bigger wings around him. Mm. Until that happens, I don't really think much is going to change, ultimately. To me, at some point, at least while he's in Portland, let's try that. Maybe <laughs> yeah. we can try putting a big guard around Dave at least once, just to see what happened. I don't yeah. know. <laughs> I, I think that, I mean, there's always been, like, the plan. I mean, that was, mm-hmm. at least that's the line, the, what we've been sold is, you know, Aaron Gordon was always the guy that, Portland was chasing, whether it was CJ McCollum or, or a package deal that involved a lot more, you know, the rumor was that, you know, that deal fell apart because O'Shea wouldn't put Anthony Simons into the, into a trade. That was one of the rumors that emerged over and over again, which just blows my mind. But I just, I just, the, like the Blazers don't even contact those guys in free agency is what, what drives me crazy. And I, I and yes, they went after Derek Jones Jr. Who has a little bit more size, certainly more athletic and rangy, but that, You're still gonna be able to shoot, though, right? Yeah, like, exactly. That's even, that's the that's thing. That's the other part of it. <laughs> it's wings that can't shoot. That you know, we either get 
small guys who can shoot on the wing or we get big guys who we don't really know what they do on offense. That's a net positive. And, and that's the real issue here. It's really interesting to compare and contrast how Atlanta's built, built their squad yes. around Trey Young. For sure. right? it's, it's all big, For rangy, sure. long athletes to cover his deficiencies and let him really cook offensively where Portland just hasn't done that same thing. And it, it's shown. Well, I, I mean, you, you look at what the Hawks have been able to do as far as just finding functional players in the draft and, and really targeting what tools they have to go get a guy like Gallo. And, and the Blazers have basically just set their first round picks on fire for a little while, it, especially if Anthony Simons and, and Nasir Little don't hit. But I want to talk about one guy that did depart, uh, jog my memory. I, I know they're not your team, but they are a Texas team. What's kind of the – have you heard any buzz about Zach Collins and what that might look like in San Antonio? And do you still have any stock in Zach Collins? I've always liked his game. I mean, Rashid Wallace is an aggressive comparison, but I've always, he's definitely <laughs> has talent. But obviously, like, if you don't play in three years, it's hard to – I mean, sure, like, if you had stock in him, now it's a penny stock. At this point, mm-hmm. you might as well hold on to your stock, right? Yeah. There's, no, there's nothing to be getting by selling it anymore, yeah. so – I mean, I don't know. I don't know. Like, is he healthy? I don't think he's in the preseason healthy right now. So, yeah, I, I think he's going to be out for a couple more months. I think actually, I think I heard from you initially because I think you were at the game that he dislocated his shoulder. Because I think you, that's I think, right. I was in Dallas. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think you messaged me right away and you're, I'm like, oh no. <laughs> so, and then I flipped it on. I was like, oh crap. Um, God, that was like, what, three years ago now? <laughs> yeah, I know. And he really has yeah. played like, a dozen games since then so it's it's been tough um last guy moses brown another person you messaged me about i mm-hmm. if you people who've listened to this podcast know that he is the one that got away from me like i i'm always preaching g league <laughs> and, and huge players and all this i love the fringe guys you know this it, it's the portland you know what you're saying? that's the true i would expect the portland podcast to be yeah. talking about the julie guys a lot that's that's perfect yep. yeah i mean he's very very big it's it's shocking he's one of the few guys in the nba where you see him in person you're like i remember I, I saw him at the g league showcase and it was like there was no one within like half a foot of like the entire g league yeah. he's like the tallest player <laughs> by like, everyone was short moses brown i don't i mean I don't know. I think the Mavs had to pick him up because of a trade. I don't know if they really because they already have like five or six centers. So I think they already have Boban. You probably don't need two massive guys like that. It doesn't really make a ton of sense. You can never I, have. I bet he's six in the league though. A guy that big who can like just catch and finish. I'll bet he. I'll bet he plays ten years in the NBA. Mm-hmm. And we take like him back. Wait, do we take him back in a heartbeat? <laughs> so. Hey, look, running out of backup centers. You never yeah. have enough for those, I guess. Yeah. All right, man, that was a great, I had a great time. I shut me on. All right. Thanks, Sharks. I, I appreciate it, man. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Church of Roy podcast. If you like what you've heard, go ahead and subscribe to the show wherever you download your podcast. You can follow us on Twitter at Church of Roy Pod, and be sure to check out our live show on Spotify Greenroom every Saturday, bright and early at 8 a.m. Pacific.